Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Vito is a 23-year-old graduate student who comes in because of concerns he has about a sexually transmitted infection. He reports an episode of unprotected sexual relations about two weeks earlier with a girl he met at a party on campus. He has no symptoms, but she called him yesterday and told him she has been diagnosed with gonorrhea. He is a little worried and wants to know what he needs to do. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and Executive Editor of Dynamed. Alan, STIs are for the fifth year in a row on the increase in the U.S. Thank you for bringing us this information about treating sexually transmitted diseases. Thank you, Frank. Good morning. Nice to be here. All right. So in particular, uh, Vito needs to have his concerns addressed regarding gonorrhea. What's the latest treatment recommendations regarding the treatment of gonorrhea? At the end of 2020, the CDC issued new treatment recommendations for gonorrhea. Previously, the advice was to treat gonorrhea with 250 milligrams of ceftriaxone as a single intramuscular injection. There had been some concern that this may not result in a high enough blood level for a sufficient duration because of reduced susceptibility of gonococcus to ceftriaxone. In other words, the ceftriaxone still works, but you need a higher dose in order to achieve eradication. The new recommendation is 500 milligrams as a single intramuscular dose for those who weigh less than 300 pounds, and one gram if you weigh more than 300 pounds. They also have alternative regimens for uh, those who cannot tolerate ceftriaxone or if it's not available, and you can give gentamicin 240 milligrams intramuscularly as a single dose, plus azithromycin, two grams orally, or you can use a regimen with cefixime of 800 milligrams orally as a single dose. Okay, that, that, that's really uh, very helpful. Um, how do these in, uh, dosages and medications vary based upon site of infection? It seems to me that Vito's worried about genitourinary uh, gonorrhea. What about throat or rectal? And what about other circumstances where you might change the medication or the dose? So first, this dosing applies to uncomplicated urogenital, rectal, or pharyngeal gonorrhea. For gonococcal pharyngitis, there are no alternative regimens. So if there's a ceftriaxone allergy or intolerance, you really need to consult an allergist about some type of desensitization. These guidelines also do not apply to disseminated gonococcus, gonococcus that affects joints or meningitis or things like that. For those types of infections, you're going to need a higher dose for a longer period of time. Ceftriaxone is recommended, it's still the recommended treatment for pregnant women. Also of note, uh, regarding the whole differences between different sites, a test of cure to see if it's worked and you've gotten rid of the uh, gonococcus is unnecessary for most people with uncomplicated urogenital or rectal gonorrhea if they're treated with any of the recommended or alternative regimens. However, if you've got pharyngeal gonorrhea, 
these people are at higher risk of treatment failure and a test of cure is recommended using one of the standard uh, nucleic acid amplification tests. And that should be done about one to two weeks after the initial treatment. Because reinfection within a month, within 12 months is common, a test for reinfection somewhere between three and 12 months after treatment is still recommended for everybody. Isn't that interesting that reinfection is, is common? So that, that makes very good sense. I want to reiterate that we know that about 90% of patients who believe they have a penicillin allergy either have outgrown it or never really had a penicillin allergy. So encouraging this patient to get that evaluated with an allergist makes great sense. Um, so uh, Vito's here. He needs to be tested. What other tests should we be doing on him based upon his exposure to gonorrhea? And, um, and how would that inform what we do next? Well, what I would suggest is that he be tested, and he be tested for uh, both gonorrhea and chlamydia. Where I work, it's a single swab, and you can just do it off the urine. You don't have to do the urogenital swab if you don't want to. And that can then be tested for both gonorrhea and chlamydia. Until you have ruled out chlamydia, though, you just need to treat it presumptively. So in this case, he, kn he knows he's been exposed to gonorrhea, so he should be treated for that. But because you don't know if he has chlamydia or not, you should treat him for both. And the standard treatment uh, is doxycycline, 100 milligrams twice a day. There have been increasing rates of azithromycin resistance. And so it's no longer a first-line treatment for anyone except pregnant women. Uh, just by way of comparison, the resistance about five years ago was around 0.6% and it's increased to 4.6%. And so 4.6% is still low, but the CDC is worried about the trend. And so they are really encouraging doxycycline as the appropriate treatment for co-infection with chlamydia or if you don't know whether there's co-infection or not. I think I might um, at least uh, discuss with him uh, getting some blood work today because I think uh, he's had he's had um, uh, unprotected intercourse. He's at risk for HIV, and we know in the world of STIs, uh, the rate of syphilis is going up throughout the U.S. Uh, would you would you agree with that? Yes, I think that's um, well. The syphilis, I definitely agree with. The HIV. The only issue with the HIV is sort of the timing of when you test for it. He certainly needs to be counseled about uh, his risk for HIV. And whether you test right now, I mean, it's, it's fine to get a baseline, but given the risk that he has, it would probably be appropriate to test him again uh, three to six months later. I, I think that makes very good sense. Can you briefly discuss the concept of expedited partner therapy? Sure. Expedited partner therapy is a provision of, of prescriptions of medications for patients to take who are sex partners without them ever being examined by a healthcare provider. This is legal in a number of states, including here in Massachusetts, and expedited partner therapy may decrease patient reinfection compared to a strategy of just telling the patient to refer all of their sex partners for treatment. Expedited partner therapy has been shown to reduce rates of persistent or recurrent infection uh, in patients with both gonorrhea or chlamydia. In cases where you're going to use expedited therapy, then what you should be doing is giving the partner a single dose of 800 milligrams oral suffixime and to provide uh, tr 
treatment for chlamydia infection as well, again with doxycycline 100 milligrams twice a day for seven days. So this can be uh, given to your patient for them to give to their partner without the partner ever having to come in. And it, the goal is to, again, try and be as effective as possible in limiting the spread of sexually transmitted infections. Alan, with the rates of STIs increasing in the country, this is a really timely and important guideline. Thanks so much for, for discussing it today. Thanks for having me, Frank. Practice pointer, always consider expedited partner therapy when treating a patient for gonorrhea. Join us next time when we talk about the role of continuous glucose monitoring in type 2 diabetes. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.